Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Just get started somewhere. You can learn it from courses and books and podcasts and all of that's great and it'll get you a head start, but you will never ever learn as much as you will by actually doing some deals or doing a deal and you'll learn multiples of what you learn from studying by actually getting involved welcome to the best ever show the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff hello best ever listeners welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm ash patel and i'm with today's guest Jonathan Twombly. Jonathan is joining us from Brooklyn, New York. He was an early guest on the Best Ever podcast. So if you Google Jonathan Twombly and Joe Fairless, the episode will pop up. Jonathan is the president and managing member of Two Bridges Asset Management. His portfolio consists of one hotel and being a co-GP on 2,400 units. Jonathan, thank you for joining us and how are you today? I'm great, Ash. How are you? Nice to meet Very you. Very well. It's my pleasure. Jonathan, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, absolutely. So I spent years and years as a Wall Street lawyer before I was canned in 2011. I was kind of a belated victim of the Great Recession, but that was good because I really hated my job as a lawyer and I had been trying to figure out how to get out of it. And to make a very long story short, I broke into commercial real estate at that time. I wasn't interested in going into law again or trying to find a new law job. I found somebody who wanted to partner. I learned the syndication business from her and then ultimately went out on my own. I did a bunch of multifamily. I still do multifamily, but I've also recently become very, very excited about value add independent hotels. Let's dive right into that. Why? My guess is great depreciation when you do your cost segs and you're coming off of the COVID crash for hotels, what else is there that's attractive about hotels? So I hate to burst this bubble, it. but it's actually none of that. <laughs> the, um, I mean, so cost seg, well, yeah, obviously cost seg is a big thing for hotels. It's not really the primary reason to do it, but you definitely get a lot of bang for your cost seg buck because so much of what you're buying is rapidly depreciable because you're buying not just 
the walls and the fixtures, but all the beds, all of that stuff that comes with the hotel that you need to operate. You get a lot of benefit from that for sure. But what I've sort of stumbled onto in this space, and this is, mind you, not branded hotels, so none of the chains that you're used to. This is your independent hotels. There's a big generational shift going on in the independent hotel space where a huge number of these hotels are owned by the people who built them or people who inherited them from their parents. These are almost all baby boomers, sometimes even older than baby boomers, and they're all looking to retire. And this is their primary asset. They've run this business their whole lives. They need to exit. Their kids don't want to take these things over. Oftentimes they're in small towns and they need a lot of CapEx. These people have run these hotels on kind of a shoestring budget for years. They're not managed to maximize revenue necessarily. They're managed to support a lifestyle and they're managed in ways that are sort of ad hoc and people sort of develop their own systems as they grew and oftentimes grew up in the business. And there's a limited number of people who are able to take these projects on because they involve A, CapEx, B, bringing in professional management. The CapEx is substantial. This is not even on the smaller side deals. You're talking several million to purchase, another several million to renovate, and not everybody has that cash lying around. So it's kind of ideal for someone like me, who's a syndicator, who knows how to raise money, knows how to do a value add, knows how to bring in outside third-party management that's professional to put this together. Once we do that, of course, then the audience for selling them is a lot bigger because then you're selling it to people who are ready to take on a finished product, essentially. But there's just a very small number of people who really want to get in, get their hands dirty doing the work. So you're able to pick these up at really attractive valuations. And it reminds me a lot of when I first got into multifamily 12, 13 years ago, where even in some of the hottest markets today, you still had a lot of these mom and pop operators, which they've largely sold out to the syndicators and the bigger players at this point. So there's not a lot of those kinds of assets available in multifamily anymore, but in the hotel space, it's there. So I'm really excited about this space. Jonathan, my first question is going to be easy. Why independent versus branded? A couple of things. One of the things I did as a lawyer was I represented hotel owners against hotel chains. So I saw how the sausage is made from the inside. As a hotel owner, when you own a hotel that is flagged, as we call it, you are really working for the chain. Now, they are doing the work. So let's be clear, you're not working for them, but they're in there managing the asset for you. And you're signed on to contracts that essentially require you to put in CapEx whenever they want. So if they decide as a chain, and I remember being involved with issues like this, let's say a chain decides we're going to upgrade all of our mattresses. We have this new mattress standard that we want to put into all of our hotels everywhere. You're obligated in your contract to maintain brand standards or you lose the flag. And if you lose the flag, usually you're in default on your loan. So you really have no choice but to then go and let's say these are $5,000 mattresses and you have a hundred room hotel. Well, now you've got a $500,000 CapEx expenditure that you have to do no matter what you're in default. So you have those kinds of obligations. You don't have that as an independent hotel. Now there is a couple of advantages to having a flag. It's much easier to get financing. The financing may be better. 
Sometimes you can get non-recourse financing if you have a flag and you're part of the reservation systems that these hotels operate. But there's been some research recently out of Cornell, which has a very well-known hotel school, which suggests that, yeah, the flagged hotels have better top line revenue and they have better occupancy, but the profitability is the same, meaning that all that additional revenue is all going to the chain. It's not coming to you. So there's not, to my mind, really a great advantage to going with a flagged hotel unless you're concerned about the financing. The other thing for me is that I know that there are some value add opportunities with flagged hotels, and usually they come about when owners can't afford to do that required capex. But I think there's sort of more meat on the bone with these independent hotels, and you just have more freedom to do what you want. So we can do the redesign the way we want. We're not having to pass all our designs and buy some bureaucrat at the headquarters of the hotel to tell us if they think our design is okay, things like that. So if you value your freedom, at least in my mind, the independent hotels are just a better option. Thank you for explaining that. And let's dive in a little bit because these renovations are not insignificant. Often the property improvement list or the PIP, they'll come in and they'll tell you we want every rug removed, all the furniture upgraded, the paintings replaced with other generic paintings. And a lot of times they specify the vendor who you have to purchase these items from, which they usually either own or get a kickback from. And it's a very significant amount of money that could be required. Facade changes. They'll come on your property and they'll want the parking lot restriped, repaved, everything painted. And a lot of hotel owners dread having to deal with that. Yeah, not just that, but when we were litigating with hotel chains, one of the big issues that we constantly were fighting with them about was they're not allowed to build their corporate overhead to you, but they do it and they sneak it in. So you need to call in a forensic accountant to come in and figure out what it is that they're calling their overhead that they're billing through to you that they're not supposed to be billing through to you. So that was a big issue. And the management contracts, if you've ever looked at a loan document, you know how complicated that is. These hotel management agreements are designed in such a way as to try to make it impossible for you to terminate them. So you're kind of stuck with them forever. Now, this gets into legal stuff, which is kind of beyond the scope here. You can get out of them, but they intentionally make it very difficult. So it's very attractive on some level because they're dangling this, hey, you can get financing easily. And the banks are like, hey, we're going to finance you if you sign this contract. But sort of once you're in, you're in. And it's pretty constricting. Jonathan, I'm going to make another assumption that you'll probably disprove. But if you have an independent hotel, I'm going to assume they're in high tourism areas. They're in places where demand is very high for these places. Is that correct? Yes. That's what we're focusing on. We're focusing on markets that are tourist markets, driving destinations, hopefully that are not just one season. Hopefully they've got two or three seasons. But there are some independent hotels in major metropolises too. You do see hotels coming up for sale even here in New York City that are independents. So I haven't tried to look at any of those yet. Those tend to be a lot more money than I'm ready to get into at the moment, but they definitely exist. All right. What was your first hotel purchase? So the first hotel purchase is a property in Watkins Glen, New York, which was called the Glen Motor Inn. We have rebranded it to be the Hotel Laurel at Seneca Lake. 
it was a 1950s exterior entrance motel with a restaurant and bar. And the thing that was attractive to me about it was the location is just spectacular. So this was kind of like an accidental entry into the business. But during COVID, like a lot of other people, my wife and I bought a house in upstate New York just to get out of the city when we were in lockdowns and stuff. And in order to get to this house, we would have to drive by this hotel, just right on the route to the house. And every time we passed it, we would have the same conversation. You kind of come out of the town of Watkins Glen and you drive up this hill and you see this spectacular view of Seneca Lake. And as soon as you see the spectacular view, you see the hotel. And we would always say, man, somebody ought to do something with this hotel. It's clearly needs some TLC. And it just seems such a shame. They've got this amazing view, but the hotel's kind of past its prime. Somebody ought to do something. And I was looking around for assets to buy up in that area because I had this idea that if I did some business up there, my wife would let me spend more time up there. <laughs> so it wouldn't just be a vacation. I could call it work. So I was looking around for stuff to buy, looking for multifamily to see what was on the market. And I saw that this hotel was for sale. And it had been for sale for quite some time, more than a year, and they'd kept on cutting the price and cutting the price. And it was just one of those things where I felt really in my bones, I was like, I know that I can make this work if I can put together the right team. And also I felt a little bit of a sense of, I don't know, not obligation, but somebody needs to do something and maybe that somebody should be me. So I found someone who knew the hotel business, who's now my partner. I went to one of my investors and pitched it to him and he was interested. So we just went, we bought it for cash, didn't deal with a lender. And we just finished up a renovation a few weeks ago. That should have been an interesting conversation. Honey, remember the hotel that we talked about? <laughs> <laughs> what was the purchase price of that hotel? It was pretty small. It was $2 million. It was a 40-room hotel. We've actually taken it down to 37 rooms because we made a couple of suites. It also came with a full restaurant and a second bar. So we put in close to $2 million into the renovation. And as I said, we just wrapped it up last week. So we soft opened at the beginning of the summer. We rented the rooms that were then done. And we finished the rest of the rooms th through the summer and just finished the restaurant and the second bar. Three seasons, Watkins Glen, there's a great lake up there. There's a racetrack. In the winter, is there a lot of skiing destinations up there? Winter is the slow season for Watkins Glen. They have not capitalized on the cold weather yet. I was actually just up there for our grand opening last week and was talking with one of the county legislators. And it's a big priority for them to figure out some kind of winter activities that would draw people in. So we're going to have some further conversations with them. And we have thought personally just for the hotel, because we have about 11 acres of land, it slopes down to the lake and it's essentially a lawn. It's like a 10 acre lawn that we have. We've thought about, well, maybe we can do snow tubing there, or we can put in some kind of winter amenity there, or maybe we can bring in one of those ice castle people to construct an ice castle there or in the town or something. So we're trying to think creatively about how we might bring more business to the area during the winter as well. But that's probably more of a long-term project. With major chain hotels, I'm assuming they're restricted on advertising on Airbnb, VRBO, short-term rental sites. Is that primarily where you get a lot of your clientele from? Actually not. Our clientele comes in mostly through Expedia, TripAdvisor, sites like that. So I sort of meant to mention this before. 
one of the big value propositions for the chains has always been that you're part of their reservation system. But with the rise of Expedia and these other online booking sites, that's less valuable. We show up the same as they do because most people are not going directly to their website. They're just Googling Hotel Watkins Glen, and then they get the list that pops up on Expedia or wherever they are. So we're right there next to the branded hotels. There actually aren't any in Watkins Glen, which is nice, but if there were, we'd pop up right next to them. So that's where most of our bookings are coming from. But we do have a fair amount of bookings coming directly to our website as well. There's no way to capture the business travelers who want the Marriott points or the Hilton Honors points. That's right. It is what it is, right? When a company's paying for you to travel, you're going to want your points. That's true. But to the extent that you're being paid to travel to Watkins Glen, there are no chain hotels to stay in anyway. So hopefully you're going to stay with us. Yes. In terms of your investors, you have one or many investors on this deal. In this particular one, I have one investor. Was it a difficult sell? Was this investor used to investing in apartments with you? How did that conversation go? This investor is actually somebody I've known for about 30 years. He's invested in many deals with me. I made a lot of money for him. So it wasn't a very difficult conversation at all. He's a pretty opportunistic investor. So I just pitched him on the idea and he was interested. His family is invested in all manner of different kinds of assets. So they're not a multifamily only type investor. And what's the value add on this property? In terms of what? Increasing revenue. Did the rooms need renovations? Just imagine an asset that has undergone one major renovation in its life and then a lot of ad hoc fixes. So you can imagine how that comes to look over time. The style is trapped in 1990 and then everything is hodgepodge. So stuff starts being mismatched after a while. And then the other thing that you find in a lot of these hotels is that mattresses are a big expense. And they get worse slowly over time. So it's sort of like the frog in the pot of boiling water. You don't realize your mattresses are, are bad until you start getting reviews online about how bad the mattresses are. And the mattresses, some of these hotels are you know, 20, 30 years old. And the families just don't have the money to go and spend thousands upon thousands on new mattresses. So we just got renovated the whole thing. We went down to the studs. For instance, the decor there were three different buildings plus the restaurant building. They'd been built at different times. They had different decor. So some of it was 1970s. Some of it was 1990s, right? And there was a lot of wood paneling and things like that. So we just went and we stripped all that out. We winterized everything. I mean, we just basically gutted the whole place and brought it up to a really nice current standard. And you're remotely managing these renovations? Yeah, but what my partner and I have is take too much credit for this. This is really his crew, but we have a dedicated crew that works for us. And what they do is they live in the hotel until the renovation is done. And they've done many of these jobs. They've done a dozen of these hotels in the past. So they know the drill. And my partner and I are both frequently traveling to the site to check on the progress of work, but it's not the kind of thing that needs day-to-day -day oversight because our crew manager, he's the QC. He's the one who knows what the standard is and what needs to be met. So we can do a lot of this remotely because of the trust we have in the crew. I think if we were in a situation where we were trying to hire some local GC that we didn't have a track record with, that would be a lot more difficult to manage, I think. Jonathan, you're implementing third-party management in this? 
Yes and no. It started out that way. I hired my now partner to be the third party manager. So on this first hotel, he technically is the third party manager, or I should say really asset manager. We do have an on-site manager, but it's his management company that on that hotel is working for a fee. On the next hotel that we do, they'll actually be a partner in the hotel. So it is self-managed, I guess, in that sense. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital's never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. Rebranding the hotel will reset all of your reviews, but it loses the nostalgia and the historic charm. What did you do? Did you keep the same name or rebrand it? No, we rebranded it. So as I mentioned, it was the Glen Motor Inn. It had a very heavy association with the auto racing that goes on in Watkins Glen. We wanted to take the hotel in a different direction because the region is really going in the direction of ecotourism, wine, beer. I don't know how familiar you are with this area, but the Finger Lakes in New York are basically the East Coast version of Sonoma Valley in California, right? So it's a really burgeoning wine scene, food scene, nature scene. And we wanted to have a broader appeal for the hotel. So we did rebrand it. All of the racing memorabilia the family wanted to keep anyway, it was all of their personal memorabilia. So it wasn't part of the sale, but that was fine with us because we intended to rebrand it anyway. We were a little bit concerned that a lot of the old guests would be upset about the rebranding. They liked it the way it was. But really what we found is there were a very small number of people who didn't like it because some people just don't like any change at all. But for the most part, people were very happy with the renovations that we've done. Back in the day, in the old day, when this was the only hotel in town, the race teams used to stay there. So Paul Newman and Mario Andretti and those guys used to stay at the hotel back in the Formula One days. A lot of the racing teams stopped staying there over time as the other options presented themselves and the kind of quality of the asset declined a bit. Now they're coming back. They've seen what we've done. They like what we've done. So I think a big credit to us that the race teams are starting to stay with us again. Jonathan, due diligence on this property was probably a little bit different because you're doing gut renovations, but for some of our best ever listeners that are considering doing the same thing, what should due diligence look like? So it is a little bit different from a multifamily, of course, because you're not, say, reviewing a rent roll, you're not looking at leases, you're not doing that kind of audit. The first thing that we started out with is actually the Smith Travel Research Reports the STR reports or called star reports sometimes. And you can purchase them for any assets you want. Independent hotels usually don't subscribe to STR. So their data is not there, but it gives you a really good picture of what the demand is in the area for hotels. So you can start with that. And then the due diligence beyond there is actually pretty simple, especially when you're doing a gut renovation. Really what's happened up to this point doesn't really matter. And we know that the financials that they present to us are not really that relevant. It's good to see what they're doing, but they don't really tell us a picture of what we can do. That's more based on our 
knowledge and experience from doing past hotels. And again, when I say we, I mean my partner Shiv about doing past hotels. We base our ideas of what the room rates and the demand is going to be from those STR reports. And we underwrite from that basis. The due diligence itself is really, we go in there, we do a structural report, environmental, all that sort of stuff, just to make sure we're not getting into some kind of really big trouble. But I wouldn't say this is as due diligence heavy as a multifamily property. I think it's probably more akin to like, if you're buying a distressed property for multifamily where it's half empty or it's a shell or whatever, it's probably more akin to that. It's really based on your pro forma. And then you just want to make sure you're not buying an environmental issue. I can't imagine banks are knocking down your door wanting to finance an independent hotel because now they're financing real estate and a business at the same time. This has been a problem. Now, there is definitely a market for financing hotels, but what they're looking for is hotels that are stabilized and have a track record and you can give them three years of financials. When you show up with a value-add independent hotel, they really sort of scratch their heads and don't know what to do with it. So we didn't even bother with banks for this first hotel because I just thought it was too risky and I just wanted to do it for cash. And my investor was happy with that. We're actually in contract on a second hotel now, and we have had a big runaround with financing. We did actually get a term sheet from a local bank that was going to fund the purchase and the renovation. Funnily enough, when we first went to them and said, we'll raise all the capital to do the renovation. We just want a mortgage for the purchase. And they said, no, we don't want to do that because we want to have some control over the renovation. So we'll give you more money. So we're like, okay, we'll take more money. And then as soon as we signed a term sheet, they just sort of disappeared. So we wound up negotiating seller financing with the owner and we're back in a sense to where we started. We're getting seller financing for the purchase. We're raising all the equity for the renovation. And I am frankly happy with that because again, that gives us more control. Once we have the asset renovated and stabilized, our plan is essentially we're going to be going to the local bankers every quarter for a meeting and saying, look at our financials. And then three years later, when we're ready to refinance, then their appetite will be whetted because they'll see the performance of the hotel at that point. Where is this hotel located? So the second hotel is in Vermont. Ski resort in the winter. Yeah. This is a great three season hotel because it's skiing in the winter. It's got very, very good business in the summertime and foliage in the fall. So the slow season is the spring, but there is a college in town. There is the largest medical facility in the three-state region, the tri-state area there. So it's sort of a trickle of business in the spring as well. How many rooms are there in this Vermont property? This one's much bigger. It's 77 rooms, but the purchase price is almost the same as the first one. Jonathan, in terms of finding third-party management, my guess is many of them will want a branded hotel to run. Are there national companies that will manage independent hotels? Yes, there are actually, because I used to represent one of them when I was a lawyer. So there's a company called Interstate Hotels, which they manage a lot of branded hotels as a third-party manager, but they also manage larger independents. Now, I don't know how many companies there are out there that can manage smaller hotels on an independent basis. I haven't really looked into it because I found someone right away as soon as I started looking. I don't know how many other people there are out there that are doing this. I imagine there must be some, but it's probably, you've got to network your way to find them. You said you found someone. So this is one individual willing to manage this property. 
Yeah. He's got a small company. He's from a hotel family. He's been doing this his whole life. Um, used to work for, with branded hotels and then went out on his own um, to, you know, to manage hotels on his own. How in-depth will these renovations be for Vermont? Uh, they will not be as extensive as the asset in Watkins Glen. Uh, the, the asset's just in better condition. So it'll be primarily cosmetic. So basically, you know, that's going to be new carpeting, new furniture package, new bathrooms, but we don't need to go beyond the walls in this case. In Watkins Glen, we had to resheet rock. We put in new insulation, put in new wiring, new plumbing. We won't have to do this in this hotel. So the renovation won't be as extensive. This hotel also doesn't have a restaurant. So there's no restaurant to renovate as well, just a lobby. And hotels are valued similar cap rate NOI. What's a going cap rate for an independent hotel? Cap rates tend to be long-term average around 8%, and they haven't really varied a whole lot. One of the things that you mentioned before, when I said I have to sort of burst the bubble, one of the interesting things about the hotel market is that, yeah, everybody freaked out when COVID happened and everything got shut down, but then hotels came rearing back so much after things reopened that it sort of evened out the blip. And what you see when you look at hotel pricing is that it never really had a big run-up during the bubble, and it hasn't had a crash either. It's pretty much stayed the same in terms of pricing. So hotels at the moment are either the first or second best performing asset class over the last couple of years, but it's mostly because they never had the big bubble in the first place, so there wasn't much to pop. I think multifamily is down as much as 25%. They say hotels are down about 3% from the peak right now. So they've held on to their value. Jonathan, the Vermont property, you're going to put in a fair amount of CapEx. Why or how are you confident that you'll be able to increase revenue? A number of things. The first thing, as I said, we went and we look at those star reports first to see what the competing hotels are doing, sort of what the market is. And we also looked at the comps. And one of the things that we discovered when we looked at this hotel well, first of all, the seller was very open about the fact that he runs it way below capacity. It's really just him and a housekeeping crew. And I think he has one front desk person. So he's really running it as a lifestyle business. He doesn't market the hotel and he's very conscious of not getting overwhelmed. He runs it to maintain a certain lifestyle. So we know right off the bat that it's well below the capacity that it's capable of. The hotel is also in a fantastic location, right downtown, probably the best located hotel in the whole market. And it's also just a very attractive property, even though it's a little outdated, the asset itself is very, very nice. So it shows very favorably compared to the other assets in the market. The other things that we noticed is that the hotel currently is priced well below the average for hotel rooms in the market and very far below what other inferior assets, even in the current condition, are, are charging at the moment. So there's a hotel right next door, for example, a very small one. It's only 16 rooms. But if you look on TripAdvisor, even just a comparison of those two assets shows you that the hotel we're buying is just much more attractive. But that second hotel is charging $40 more a night than this hotel is, even in the current state. And instead of price per door, it's typically price per key. Is that still a valid metric? Yeah. It's a good way of figuring out where you are relative to comps that have been sold, especially in a situation like this, where we can't really put a cap rate on the asset because it's not performing. 
So we could put a cap rate on it, but the cap rate would be meaningless. But we know we're buying this asset for 26000 door, which is an amazing price. We know if it were operating at half of the market occupancy, it would be worth double that, just the way it is right now. And we know that after we renovate it, we know what kind of rates that we can expect to get. So we believe we're getting a really good bargain on this asset. Jonathan, going into some of these smaller towns, taking older properties and breathing new life into them, are you able to secure any grants from cities? There is not a lot of grant stuff, at least that we have found available for commercial properties. There's a lot more of this available for residential. When I say residential, I mean homes, single family homes, not apartment buildings. So we haven't found grant money for that yet. Okay. So this talk was very inspirational. I want to dive into the hotel business and I'm sure a lot of our best ever listeners, you've got a lot of wheels turning. How would somebody start looking into maybe acquiring a smaller property? Where do they look? The surprising thing about these assets, especially in the smaller markets, is that a lot of them are just listed on Craxi and LoopNet and places like that. What I discovered, and this also applies to multifamily and a lot of these smaller markets too, but very often the brokers who are listing these properties, they don't belong to major brokerage houses. They don't have big marketing budgets. And oftentimes, maybe this is the only commercial asset they have or the only one they've ever done. Maybe they got the listing because they're friends with the owner and they don't really know what else to do with it. So they put it on LoopNet or that's the best way for them to get exposure for the asset. So you can actually find a lot of attractive assets of this type on LoopNet, on Craxi. I found both of the hotels that I'm involved with through those sites. And there's more that I'm looking at that I found through them. A lot of the small hotel specialty broker, there are people who specialize in these assets. They list them on those sites too, because that's the way that they can get more exposure than just sort of their own list. So they're not as hard to find as your 200 unit, 1990s vintage multifamily property in Austin, Texas, where you have to jump through all sorts of hoops to get the broker even to talk to you. This is a different ballgame. Jonathan, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best advice ever? I would say my best advice ever is do it. Just get started somewhere. You can learn it from courses and books and podcasts and all of that's great and it'll get you a head start, but you will never ever learn as much as you will by actually doing some deals or doing a deal. And you'll learn multiples of what you learn from studying by actually getting involved. So I would just encourage people to really start making offers, start looking at properties, just get out there, get away from your computer and actually walk some properties and make some offers. All right, Jonathan, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, Jonathan, what's the best ever book you recently read? Who, not how. Game changer. Jonathan, what's the best ever way you like to give back? There are so many ways that I like to give back. I really like coaching people, to be honest with you. I have a coaching program. That's not what I'm talking. Enjoy that. But I really like to help people. I like to make connections. I'm actually very good at making connections. So that's one of the ways to give back. And Jonathan, speaking of your coaching program, tell our audience more about it. You've got a podcast. And if you would, let our best ever listeners know how they can reach out to you. My podcast is called the Apartment Investors Club. You can find it where all the podcasts are available. Everything is basically branded under the Apartment Investors Club 
format. So if you're interested in the coaching program, that's at apartmentinvestorsclub.com. You can learn more. We actually have a free gift for listeners of the show. If you go to apartmentinvestorsclub.com slash fairless, we have a four video series there that just walks you through how to syndicate a deal, how to find deals, how to raise money and some mindset issues that may be holding you back. And that's just free download. So go to apartmentinvestorsclub.com slash fearless. Jonathan, I got to thank you for your time today. 2011 probably wasn't an easy thing to be let go. You're a Wall Street attorney, but man, what a great success story that you've had. Thank you for sharing that with us today. Absolutely. Thanks. Nice meeting you, Ash. I really appreciate it today. Pleasure. Best ever listeners. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.